0: Well, good morning, it's good to see all of you, and I guess there's the first time for everything. This is my first time to ever preach in a yellow submarine, but uh, I, I, I love the song selection today, but I really felt like we should have sung that song, it was kind of fitting, um, but obviously we're gearing up for a big VBS uh, kicking off tomorrow, and there's a ton of folks who are involved with that, um, who've given so much time and effort and consideration to that, so we want to say thank you uh, to those of you who've worked so hard and are about to work very, very, very hard uh, as, as we get going. And I uh, want to invite the whole church out on Thursday night. We'll be kind of having the after party in a, in a way uh, here, a big celebration. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to go on. And so if you can't serve during the week during that, please uh, get with Ashley Shaver um, and you know get plugged in on a way you can help on that. And then next Sunday, we'll actually conclude BBS here. Um, the kids will be Brought back for the fifth time, John will be teaching on that, and then I'll be preaching as part of the conclusion of VBS week um, next week, and the kids will be singing three or four songs next week, and so that's always a good time, so I want to make sure you're here for some of that. I did want to say happy Father's Day, um, and I did want to say thank you to those of you who uh, prayed for me uh, and have been praying for me last week. I've got a few more tests to run, they're pretty sure it is diverticulitis. Uh, but they're going to do a few more tests just to rule anything out. But thank you so much for those. I'm on the mend. Uh, it's just taking a little longer than than I'd hope, um, than I expected. But if you've got a Bible, if you'll grab it and make your way to Luke chapter 6. It's on page 559. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of those around you. Um, and then like I said, it is Father's Day. And as a father of four, there's not anything that's taught me more about the love of God for his children besides the Bible than being a father, uh just that unconditional love that I have for my kids that he has for me, um nothing besides the Bible has taught me more. So yeah. We're in Nashville, so George Drake, he got it right. It's a love without end, amen. It is. And and my dad, um you know, like probably a lot of your dads taught me not only uh, with his words, but also also with his actions. He taught me not only with what he said, but, you know, then he would show me uh, through the way he lived his life as, as well. He would he would he would declare it and he would display it. And as it relates to the lordship of Christ, that's exactly what we're going to see this morning when we look at Luke chapter six. He's going to declare his lordship over the Sabbath, and he's going to display his lordship over the Sabbath as well. And it's really what Luke's been doing throughout the entire book, as we've studied through here. The the whole time, the whole thing that he laid out from the very first chapter, the very first words he's telling us, "I'm I'm writing this to you, and specifically to this guy named Theophilus. I'm writing this to you so that you might be certain." Um, so you may have certainty of the things of Christ. And so he's just been laying out all of this evidence that Jesus is the son of God, that he is who he says he is. And so to that end, chapter one, verse thirty two, he's spoken of how Jesus is the son of the most high. Chapter two, verse eleven, the Linus passage at Christmas time, he is a savior who is Christ the Lord. Multiple times he's called him the son of man, which is referencing Daniel, chapter seven. And and then in chapter 3, verse 22, Luke records God, the Father, speaking from heaven to Jesus, saying, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so all throughout these last five chapters, we've just seen the authority of Jesus highlighted, the authority to preach the gospel, the authority to heal the body, to cast out demons, to forgive sinners, to call disciples. And so he's just continuing to lay all of this evidence down that Jesus is the Lord. He has authority over all things. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the father except through him. And so here in chapter six, he's doing the same thing. Laying this evidence down who Jesus is. And in particular, he's going to give us a new title and a new aspect of Jesus' lordship over all things, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And again, like my dad did with me, and like, probably, like your, parent, your your fathers may have done with you, Jesus is not only just going to say it, he's going to display it. He's going he, to declare it and display it. He's going to say it and show it. Alright, and so that's what we're going to re, really focused on, but in the midst of all of that, we're also going to talk a little bit about the Sabbath. What does it mean for us today? Is it still binding on us today? What, what What is the Sabbath all about? So we'll get to that as well. So we got a lot to do. Um, and so if you'll look at it with me, Luke chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to read, uh, make our way through it again. Here we go. Verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And so what's happening here is they are accusing Jesus of sin. They are accusing Jesus of breaking the fourth commandment. All right. Not honoring the Sabbath. We read the Ten Commandments just a few minutes ago. They're accusing him of breaking the fourth one. Now, first question, what is the Sabbath? What is What, what is that all about? Flip over to Exodus chapter twenty that we read a little earlier. It's near the beginning of the Bible. It's on page forty in the paperback. All right, this this is the Ten Commandments. These is this this is what God handed down in stone tablets to Charlton Heston on the mountaintop. Not not because he's a malevolent dictator but because He's a good God who knows how life works best. And so He's saying life goes this way. Things work this way. This is how I designed the world to work. So it functions this way. Live this way. And so commandment number four, verse eight, says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath that is set apart to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it whole. And so the the seventh day of the week is a day that the Lord has commanded that we rest. Okay, It's based upon the creation account and the fact that God rested on the seventh day, which is a little bit weird theologically because God has no need to rest, right? Yet he did. We should say a little something to us about ourselves. And so God, in his grace, has not just suggested that we have a day of rest. He's commanded it. And he's given his people a day to just stop running around like a chicken with its, you know, Head cut off, and 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 stop doing, 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 and just be a day to rest and and to worship and to recreate and to enjoy. But the Pharisees come to this, and they 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 see this commandment. All right, so we're to to rest. So we need to define like how you rest. It's, it's the whole. You know, we need to define what is, is. And so they decide, you know what? We need to come up with some rules on how to rest. And so they come up with 39 rules that define how you are to rest. 30, 39 rules, like, think about this. 39 rules that you, that you had to work hard to keep so that you could rest. That's what the Pharisees did here. They took a blessing and they turned it into a burden. Which is what self-righteous legalism will always do. It will take a blessing and it will turn it into a burden. So let's just chat about that for a minute. I think we can learn from their blood here, from their mistake here. God's law is the law. Not our opinion about how it's fulfilled. Okay? God's law is the law, not our opinions about how that law should be kept. Okay, Not our opinions about how it should be kept. Now, we can have opinions, but recognize what is opinion and what is law and differentiate those two. Too often we lump those things together and take our opinions and treat them as if they're law when they're just opinions about the law. God's law is the law, not our opinions about how it should be fulfilled. And so the law is binding on us, not your opinion about how best to fulfill it. And this is true from the stewardship of our money, to our homes, to the way, what we wear on Sunday mornings, to the way we worship on Sunday mornings, to our bodies, to the food we choose to eat or not eat, to the drink we choose to drink or not drink, to the methods of education we choose for our kids. We are to educate our kids, but the how, that's an opinion. And so the law is binding, not our opinion about how best to fulfill it. You guys understand what I'm trying to say? This means yes. Thank you. And so what do we need to do? We need to keep the law, and then we need to take a humility pill about our opinions and stay focused on Jesus. All right? But that is not what the Pharisees did. They invented these 39 rules of how to keep the Sabbath, and they forced them on everyone. Their opinion, they're enforcing it on everyone. Again, the fourth commandment is binding, but the practical how to, how you carrying that out, isn't. But they said, oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah, it is. There's these 39 rules, and you, you better keep these 39 things. So if you write two letters, that's okay. But if you write three letters on a piece of papyrus, you broke the Sabbath. You can erase two letters, also, but if you erase three, you just broke the Sabbath. You can take one thousand—I'm not making this up. These are the thirty-nine rules. You can take one thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine steps away from your house, but if you take two thousand, you broke the Sabbath. So for those guys, this Fitbit ten thousand steps per day was completely out. And so they accuse Jesus. They're accusing him of breaking the wall here, okay? And, and and part of that 39 included, they said there was to be no reaping, no threshing, no winnowing, and no preparing of food on the Sabbath. And so when the disciples come walking through this field and, and just, you know, grab a handful and rub it in their hands to get the chaff off from the wheat and, you know, pop it in their mouth or whatever, not unlike walking you know by an apple tree on a pretty day and grabbing the apple and you know cleaning it off on your shirt and taking a bite of it they say that grabbing is reaping and then rubbing it in their hands is threshing and winnowing and then they eat it so they obviously prepared the food so with every mouthful they're breaking four of these 39 commandments and so they are not of man-made commandments and so they go nuts and accuse Jesus of breaking the law and what Jesus does in answering them is fascinating because he could have just, number one, pointed out that he wasn't breaking the law. He could have pointed out even grabbing food from a stranger's field is completely legitimate. Deuteronomy 23, 25, this is a way God has provided for his people. You could walk by and, and grab a little bit and eat a little bit. This was how God set things up. You just couldn't take a sickle to someone else's field and harvest so he could have completely pointed out that what he was doing was completely fine. He could have, he could have done that, that it was actually God-ordained. Number two, he could have gone off on their fake and, and fraudulent, self-righteous, self-promoting, man-made, in arbitrary, invented rules. He could have pointed out that yes and amen, we are to keep the law, but the practicality of how we're to keep The wall isn't on you to decide, to define. But Jesus does not do either of those things. Instead, he goes a whole lot deeper with his answer. That despite the fact that he is keeping the wall and is perfectly sinless, and despite the fact that he is honoring the Sabbath, that there is something beyond that, that there is something even deeper than that. That he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And that he has authority over it, completely. And this is a huge, staggering statement for him to make. We just read over like, oh Lord of the Sabbath, I've heard that before maybe. This is a huge statement for him to make. here, Because the Sabbath was a divine institution handed down from God on Mount Sinai, Exodus 20. And so to claim that you are Lord over that which God commanded is to claim that you are God. So this is a huge statement that Jesus is laying down. Another claim of deity. Another claim that he is divine. And so he is declaring here, he is the Lord. He has authority over all things, including the Sabbath, and so look at that. Look at the, that portion with me. We'll pick it up in verse three now. We'll, we'll roll it out. And so Jesus answered them. All right, this is he, he. didn't, you know, roll those. He could have done this. He could have done this, but he does, and he goes deeper. Here's what he did. And Jesus answered them. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so what Jesus is doing is reasoning from lesser to greater. And so he takes the Pharisees back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and reminds them of David. Okay? A little David and Goliath, David, who's now grown up and he's soon to be the king of Israel, but at this present time, Saul is still around, King Saul, and he's chasing David. He wants to kill him. And so David is fleeing until it's time for him to become king. And so as he's fleeing, Jesus is reminding them of how uh, on their God given mission, they were out of food. And so they went to the temple on a Sabbath and the priest allowed them to eat the bread of the presence. This is the show bread. This is the consecrated bread, bread that had been offered to God. And that only the priest was to eat. Alright, and so in these dire circumstances, as Abimelech considered what was the total righteousness of God, he recognized that he had a higher duty than just a mere fulfillment of a ceremonial law. A higher duty to meet a basic human need. And so they ate it. And scripture nowhere condemns it. And so the point that Jesus is making is that if it was appropriate for David, right, to vi- just a, a, a human, to violate a ceremonial law on the Sabbath, as he sought to fulfill, you know, the moral law that God had given him and his his men not dying, if that's appropriate, then how much more so is it appropriate for the Son of Man to break a man-made, you know, arbitrary. Rule made up by this bunch of fools. And so, in essence, what Jesus is saying is I don't care about your religious system. I don't care what your religious system says. You're not in charge of the truth. I am. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who makes the rules about it. So, don't talk to me about your puny laws. I'm the one who set the whole thing up in the first place. And so, how many of you have. How many of you have read c s lewis's um the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe all right pretty good. How many of you have seen the movie okay i actually i I'm, I'm thank you. I'll give you a hand. There's like as many who had read as had' seen the movie I, pre, I figured there'd be like one person right there saying on red everybody'd raise their hand on the movie, and I was gonna have to chastise all of you. You don't have to do that. that's good that's good. But there's a scene in the movie, there's a section in the book where Aslan, because the whole thing, if you haven't seen it, is a whole the whole thing's an allegory. There's this giant lion that represents Jesus, and his name's Aslan. All right. And so there's this scene in the movie where Aslan, the Christ figure, uh is there and the witch comes to him and is like trying to point out to him why something had to be done. Okay? And so Aslan roars back at the witch, do not cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. And that is not unlike what Jesus is doing here. Don't talk to me about your puny 39 laws. I'm the one who set the whole thing up. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the declaration. And just the smackdown Jesus lays down here. like my daddy did, and many of y'all, so he doesn't just say it. He's also going to show it, all right? So that's the declaration. Now let's look at the display, all right? We've got a declaration of lordship. I don't even know if you have sermon guides. The last week got all crazy. But now let's look at declaration. Now let's look at display, a display of lordship. Look at verse 6 with me. On another Sabbath, alright, this is a different day, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, just time out. How many times have I pointed out every single time we come to Jesus, he's teaching. It's this, he is a word-centered uh, Messiah. a preacher. It's what he does. It's part of, I mean, that's, that is the centerpiece of his ministry. It's the centerpiece of ministry today, the, the preached word. So, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was preaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees, look at this, watched him, that is, they're watching Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. And so, these guys don't give a flip about this man who has suffered with a withered hand, which who knows what that is, but. You know, something doesn't work with his hand. They don't care about them. They, they They don't care about his story, about his life, how it happened, how it affects him. They have no use for him, no care for him. They are simply there watching and hoping that Jesus will show mercy and kindness to him. Not because they care about him, but because they want to arrest Jesus. No mercy in these people. They want to arrest Jesus because he just violated one of their 39 rules, because, again, I'm not making these 39 rules up, but they actually had a rule that said if you had the ability to heal someone. Unless it was life threatening, you couldn't do it on the Sabbath. It needed to wait till the next day. That, That was a rule that they made up, and so. That's what they're watching for. They want to be the little spiritual Gestapo here and charge Jesus with Sabbath breaking. Just these fault finding, antagonistic people. You know them. I'm not saying anything, just that you know them. Please don't read into that. I'm serious. And so, verse 8. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And so Jesus, he's in the synagogue, gets on a Sabbath, he's making a scene, and he tells his guy, hey, come here, come here, stand right here. And then he asks everybody, hey, 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 um, what is the Sabbath day for, folks? Is it for doing good or is it for doing harm? Did God really design this day so that we could just continue to watch people suffer whom we could help? Is it for giving life or is it for destroying life? And so Jesus is just kind of laying this smackdown statement of, of like good that is purposefully omitted is like doing is like purposefully committing evil. Not so, so like in our lives, good that we could do and we. Obviously, we cannot do we can't do good for all the world, right? You can't fix everything, you can't solve everything. I mean, if you try to do that, you're you're going to go crazy. There's it's impossible. You'll you you can't even do good for every single person in this room right now. It's impossible. But the point is, the good that you can do, like it, if there's good that you can do, and you know you should do but you purposefully choose not to, that's like doing harm. Because it's in your capacity to help that person. doesn't mean you're just trying to solve the world's problems, but stuff that you can do. Do. But they're like, no, 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 you heal another day. You don't heal on this day, you heal another day. And so verse 10, and after looking, and after looking around at them all, In Mark 3's version of this, which is uh, the, the same story with a few more details, it says he looks around with anger. He looks around at them with anger because of their merciless, godless fakeness. All right? After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. And so his hand. You know, like in—I mean, it's like a balloon. It inflates, and it, all of a sudden he can move his fingers, and everything works again. And I'm sure the guy's just staring at it. You would think maybe they'd be like, "Okay, maybe this guy." I mean, he just gave this guy a hand right in front of me. Look at their response? Verse eleven. But they were filled with fury. Literally, that's a pat—that the word refers to pathological rage. They are abs- I mean, they are beyond themselves. This is the hardness of heart that legalism will set up. Furious that this man had been healed, that a good thing had happened, furious about that because it broke one of their thirty-nine made-up rules. And so they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the preparation; they're getting ready to kill him. Getting piling up all these things that they're going to attack and kill him for. And so Jesus had declared that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And here he calls this man to his side in the synagogue on a Sabbath, on purpose, and displays that he's Lord of the Sabbath. And in doing so, and through the questions that he he asks, he's really driving home a point that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. picked up on years later and said that regardless of the day, quoting Dr. King here, the time is always right to do what is right. The time is always right to do what is right. This is something that I tell my kids. it's always right to do what's right. Always. Like, always. It is always right to do what is right. And for those who claim the name of Christ, how much more so? And for those who claim the name of Christ, a a merciful spirit is a sign that you have received mercy. But an unmerciful spirit. You start asking yourself. Have I received mercy? A merciful spirit will show mercy. It will come. Out, I mean, just straight up, those of you who have a church background, what is the greatest commandment? When folks come to Jesus, lawyers, and again, they're trying to trap Him so that they can arrest Him, what do they ask? Do they say, what is the what, what is the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this is all the law and prophets. He's saying all of the law and the prophets, all of the commandments, everything is... is is inside of and is accomplished by doing those two things. Loving the Lord with all that you are. And loving your neighbor as yourself. And so we are to love God and we are to love our neighbor and we are to do it with an attitude of the time is always right to do what's right. And of course, kindness and compassion and mercy Is not does not produce like just because you do those things doesn't make doesn't mean you're a Christian. People, non Christians, non believers do those things all the time, but true faith can't help but produce those things. Like if you are a believer, those things should be coming out of you, fruit should be. Produced. If you are a Christian, you have been filled with the fruit singular. It's not fruit. like, well, I, got, I got this one, but I don't have no. It's fruit singular of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those should be coming out of you in ever increasing. I mean, we've got to grow. We've got to be sanctified. We're saying about that. But in ever increasing measures. And so true Christians should be marked by compassion. And love and kindness to those in need. To the poor, to the immigrant, to the refugee, to the cultural outcast, to the alcoholic, to the drug addict, to the porn addict, to the adulterer, to the homosexual, to those with special needs, to the orphan, to the abused, to the gender confused, to the AIDS victim doesn't mean we're always going to agree with everyone in that category, but we are to love everyone in all categories. And we tell them about Jesus and the hope of the gospel and the forgiveness and the new life that he gives. And even if they reject that and spit in our face and hate us, what do we do? We turn the other cheek and we keep loving them. And we mourn when they mourn. And so last week, I was in about this time. I was at Williamson County getting a CT scan. And as I was waiting in the waiting room, I was watching the news. And all all, all over the news was the the bombing that had happened in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub. It was all over the news. And they're still trying to figure out how many people had been killed and what had happened. And as Christians, yes, we don't agree with the particular lifestyle choice of the people who were at that nightclub, but we should be crushed that people made in the image of God were attacked and slaughtered, like that should break our hearts, it's still made in the image of God, there is not one person on the face of the planet who is Not made in the image of God and therefore not worthy of respect and honor and dignity and value. Our value is inherent because the image of God has been stamped on every person. It doesn't mean we agree with everything. But it does mean we show brokenness and we show love and compassion and grace and sympathy. These are our neighbors. These are those we are to love. I mean, the good Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? The point is, everybody. Samaritans and Jews hated one another. But what did the Samaritan do? He cared for the Jew. The priest didn't care for the Jew that was hurting. The, and the, the Levite didn't care for him and beat up and robbed and thrown into a ditch. But the Samaritan did. Those that shouldn't did. That's weird to be. Why would you care for that person? you guys aren't like in line at all. Why would you show love to them? Why would you show care to them? Why would you show mercy to them? Because Jesus showed mercy to me. Because Jesus was kind to me. This is what the gospel produces inside of us: We love and we care. And we tell people about Jesus. Even if they don't like it, we love them. So it's always right to do what's right, to do good towards our neighbors, even on, especially on the Sabbath, especially on the Sabbath. Because Jesus is Lord of us. He declared it and he displayed it. And I'll try to go fast, but that still leaves us with the question, what does the Sabbath mean for us today? What does it mean? What does it mean for us? Are we still to keep it? Is this something that we're still to practice today? And the short answer to all of that is yes. Yes, it is. With all that Jesus declared and displayed in his lordship over the Sabbath, he is not saying that the Sabbath no longer matters. He's saying, I'm Lord of it. So of course it matters. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the moral law and the ceremonial law and the civil law and how the. Ceremonial and civil have been done away with, but the moral still stands for all times because it was handed down before the Ten Commandments were ever handed down, and the Sabbath is part of that. The Sabbath was recognized long long before the Ten Commandments were ever handed down, and so it's part I mean, it's it's part of the moral laws. Part of the ten, it, it, it can't go away. Now the ceremonial and civil aspects of it. That related to it have gone away. That's why we're not going to go hunt down. And kill any of our missing church members today. That part's over. But the moral law. Upon which the Sabbath is built. Is still in play. And so Jesus' declaration. And display of his lordship over it. Isn't abolishing it. But it's rescuing it from its perversion. The Pharisees had turned it into a burden. Jesus is restoring it to the blessing that he created it to be in the first place. That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so as J.C. Ryle, an Anglican bishop in the 1800s in Liverpool wrote, we must not allow ourselves to be carried away by the common notion that the Sabbath is a mere Jewish ordinance and that it was abolished and done away by Christ. There's not a single passage of the Gospels which proves this. In every case where we find our Lord speaking upon it, he speaks against the false views of it, which were taught by the Pharisees, but not against the day itself. And so he gives this example of the architect who repairs a building and restores it to its proper use. It's not the destroyer of it, but the preserver of it. And so if the Sabbath day is still in effect then, well then why do we worship on Sunday, the first day of the week and not the seventh day of the week? And what does it mean for us Practically, real quick, we worship on the first day of the week for a myriad of reasons. I'll throw out a couple of them. One is that every post-resurrection appearance of Jesus was on the first day of the week. The promised Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week. In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to a coming uh, of of the Messiah, and so they worship, worship they their Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. But we now are looking back on the fact that we've already begun to enter into the eternal Sabbath rest. It's already happened, and so we do it on the first day of the week to mark the rest of our week. But even beyond all of that, like the calendar's been set and reset so many times, if we wanted to pick a particular day, we wouldn't even know which one's actually Sunday. Sunday might be Wednesday. The calendar's been reset so many times. And so the point is not so much about a particular day, but that we do keep one specific day dedicated specifically to corporate worship and rest. And Sunday is the preferable day, but it's not always practical. Praise the Lord that someone's at the power company today. I want my AC running when I get home. I'm glad it's running in here. I'm glad I'm going to flip the switch and my water's going to come on. Somebody's got to be there to do that. A bunch of us are going to go out to eat. I'm glad someone's going to be there to cook some food and 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 and, and you know be a waiter or a waitress. So it's not always Sunday is preferable, but it's not always practical. And the point is to have a day. To have a day, and so that's kind of the the practical outworking of this. The the, the Sabbath was given to us as a gift. It was given to you as a gift. It was to free humankind up to rest and to enjoy God. Again, it's based upon the fact that that God rested on the Sabbath day. Though He didn't need to, He still did. And that should say something to us. It means that despite what we feel, God's given us a day to rest. To stop doing, 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 doing. And just be for a minute. Be. And is it not true that you work better? You parent better? You love better, you serve better, you worship better when you're arrested. God knows how He set the world up. He knows how He created it, And so in His grace, He's given us a day like that. A day to slow down and see that the world's not going to fall off its tracks. Your job's not going to crumble. Your family's not going to crumble. Your team's not going to crumble. Your, all this isn't going to crumble because you take a day off and let go of the wheel for a minute. You're not God. It's not all dependent upon you. The world's going to go on. It's going to be okay. I think that's part of what my little diverticulitis thing was all about. I've just been pushing, 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 pushing for so long, so hard. And God was like, I don't even need you. The church isn't going to fall apart if you're not there. It's going to be okay. Slow down, son. Rest a little bit breathe stop being so uptight and so it's not the sabbath is not so much an idea of don't do this and don't do this it's an idea of rest breathe recreate enjoy worship serve and so yeah we gather for worship it's what the new testament talks about Church is done for 2,000 years on the Lord's Day. But then, if you want to go, if you rest by taking a walk, even beyond 1,999 steps, then go for a walk. Not because you have to, but because you can. If you rest and worship and love God by sitting on a mower or getting in your garden, that's how you rest. It's not work to you. we are not into work. But if that's how you enjoy, if that's how you. Then get on the mower. People may look at you weird, but it's we keep the law, not specifically how an opinion states the law must be kept. Keep the law. Rest, recreate, enjoy, breathe. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. On the other hand, don't abuse it. Do you think there's a lot of things that we wind up doing on Sunday that mm, we could probably put off to another day? A lot of stuff is kind of unnecessary. We just have this inability to stop and just say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But but the Sabbath is God's way of slamming on the brakes and saying, stop, breathe, rest a minute. Stop doing and just be. So here's the question: Do you have a Do you have that day? And Sundays are preferable, but it's not going to work for everybody. Point is to have a day of Sabbath. Do you? I work on Sunday, so it doesn't always work for me. Do you have a day? Do you have a day set aside where you can just disconnect? Do you have a day where you can go for a walk? Do you have a day where you can stop doing and just be? You have a day where you can worship with your family and have time in conversation and think deeply on Christ and read and listen to music. Where you can play with your kids in the yard without frantically having to hurry them off to dance or or or, or soccer or baseball or ballet or whatever it might be. You can just go to the park, where you can just be with them, where you can just walk outside and breathe deep. And rest. Do you have that? Because the Bible doesn't just request it, it commands it. Not God going, you know what, it'd be a pretty good idea if you'd take a moment and you know, recharge a little bit. That might be a good when you get a chance, think about that. No, no, he says, Rest. Because I love you. Rest. Do you have that? But beyond just the practicalities of that, the Sabbath points to, and I'll finish with this, points to the fact that, 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 that it, it, it's point, the Sabbath is pointing forward to an ultimate Sabbath. It's pointing to something a whole lot more, because if you, if you have a day where you're not just doing, 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 on that day, then you're reminded that not only does the world not revolve around you, and it will go on even if you're not doing something. Not only are you reminded that the world, or your job, or your company, or your schoolwork, your sports, not going to burst into flames and crumble around you just because you're not there, just because you, you know, the universe is going to go on even though you can't answer this email or take this phone call. Not only that, but it also reminds you that you don't have to work to earn God's forgiveness. Jesus worked for you. We don't work. Jesus worked. It's not based upon what you do. So we can rest. It's based upon what Jesus did. He did it for us. He paid it all. And so ultimately, the Sabbath is pointing forward to Christ and an ultimate, full, and final Sabbath rest. One that our weekly recurring ones are pointing forward to. An eternal Sabbath rest. An ultimate fulfillment of all that God's doing when all the wrong in the world will be made right. When all the tears will be wiped away and there'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more death. All these things will be no more. The former things have gone. The new things have come. Jesus is making all things new. That's what the Sabbath is pointing to. That's why Hebrews 4 verse 9 puts it like this. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's the Sabbath that's coming and that this Sabbath points forward to. And our Lord is Lord over it. But even as great as it is, and that rest is, and that hope of heaven is, remember this Jesus is better than that. He's the word of it. The word of the Sabbath. Father, I pray that you would help us rest. I know for me, many people in this room, that requires repentance and humility. So would you cause us to repent? Would you help us to repent? Would you cause us to be humble? Not fake humility. That's just like a pawn. True humility. And would you remind us also of your... You gave this to us because you're a good father. Your best for us, and to so remind us of Your love, and Your mercy, and Your grace that's been shown us in Christ. Whatever Father we had here in this world, in You we have a perfect One. Will never leave us or forsake us or abandon Love is perfect forever and ever.